And uh, Lloyd, you're here this morning, and Daryl, Ben, those of you who uh, prepare messages from time to time or do it regularly, there's, in one way, there's no worse feeling knowing that you want to cover a passage over a couple of weeks, and then you're knowing it's freezing rain, and, and there's going to be a, a number of people that uh, choose not to come or, or can't make it out of their driveway or, or whatever it is. And, and uh, it was actually Allison encouraged me this morning. I said, you know, two things I don't get that I'm going to ask God when I get to heaven well, there's probably a bunch of things I don't get, but uh, two things uh, uh, that I don't understand why he invented. One's mosquitoes, and the other's freezing rain. And, uh, uh, but Allison encouraged me. She said, you know what? God's in control. And whoever is supposed to be here this morning is going to be here this morning. And uh, so I take from that that God has a message for me, and he has a message for you from his word. And scripture tells us, that his word is a supernatural word because it changes lives. And uh, so let's pray that uh, those of us are here, we're here for a reason and that we'll open up our hearts and our ears to what God would have uh, to say to each one of us. Father, we bow in your presence. We have heard and we have sung about so much wonderful truth concerning you and your person and your love and what you've done through your son. Lord, that you care about each one of us individually and personally is hard to fathom. You have each one of us here this morning. There may be distractions that are going on in our head, but I pray that you would, you would remove those for us and, and help us to push them aside. And God, would you speak to us? May we, may we be willing to listen, but also to take what you have to say and to let it change our hearts and to let it change our life so that we more reflect your son, Jesus, and that we may live lives that not only please you, but show the world around us how great you are. And so, God, we lift up the name of your son, Jesus, and through all that we say and all that we do, may all the glory, may all the honor, may all the praise go unto him, for he alone is worthy. And it's in his name we pray these things. Amen. There's another uh, sad reality uh, of uh, the fact that we're at the end of March. Uh, not only is freezing rain still a possibility, but statistically, uh, we're told that the majority of people that make New Year's resolutions, uh, a resolve to change, whether that's an, an exterior change, maybe you want to lose weight or, or eat more healthier to get more exercise, spend more time outside, spend more time with your family, or whether it be an internal change. Uh, you want to be less grumpy more patient, uh, to uh, have better priorities, to, to resist sexual temptation. Statistics tell us that the majority of people that make New Year's, New Year's resolutions, this resolve to change something inside or, or outside of their life, by the time they hit the end of March, the majority have given up. They've, they've broken their promise to change, their resolve. And a lot have concluded that that kind of life change 
is unattainable for them. The reality is, forget New Year's. I would guess that there's no one here this morning that doesn't have at least something they would love to change about themselves. But change is hard, especially interior change. Someone said, change is like climbing an icy hill. And uh, it wasn't too long ago, my family was up at Joy for the, for the family day weekend uh, event up there. And, and, and one of the events that you could do was to go down the tube hill. And it was fairly icy. And believe it or not, some of those tubes are really heavy. And so being the dad and the husband and the man, I felt it was my job to, uh, to carry the tube up the hill. And you start climbing up the hill and all of a sudden you'd hit ice. And you may have gone three or four steps up, but all of a sudden you slide back, sometimes to the, to, to the very beginning. Sometimes you fall and the tube lands on your back. Uh, and then there's other people who, who made it almost all the way up to the top of the hill, and then they slipped and the tube by itself came flying all the way down to the bottom of the hill. And that's what change is like. You seem to make a little bit of progress and then you slip uh, and, and, and you slide. And why am, I, why am I saying all this other than the fact that it's the end of, of March? I share that with you because four Sundays ago, a number of you that were here made a resolve. You resolved, you made a commitment to live a changed life. To be more like Jesus. To live fully surrendered to Him. Uh, and his lordship. And you might be going, well, I don't remember that. We all stood after my message and we sang these words. I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in awe of the one who gave it all. My soul, Lord, to you surrendered. All I am is yours. And that's the resolve we sang. That's, that's the commitment we made. And it's four weeks later. And, and, and the question I ask myself and the question I ask those of you who are here is, is, how have you done with that resolve? Have you given up already? Have you broken that commitment? Have you come to the conclusion that that kind of change, that kind of radical commitment is unattainable. At least for me. Or maybe at least for you. How can we do what we've resolved to do? How can we make that sweeping commitment that some of us made four weeks ago? When change is so hard, and change is so difficult. Uh, some of you are probably going, I, don't, I wasn't here four weeks ago. I don't know what Brent's talking about. Some of you are going, I was here four weeks ago. I still don't know what Brent's talking about. So, so let me give you a quick uh, a recap of what we talked about four weeks ago. Uh, we looked at Romans 12 uh, verses 1. And I started the morning asking a very uh, simple question. What motivates people to make extreme commitments? 
And we looked at some real life everyday examples. Uh, I shared with you the, the, the girl that is always at the gym when I'm at the gym. And apparently she works out three or four hours a day for uh, pretty much every day of the week. What motivates her to be so committed to what she's doing? And we can think of athletes. Uh, I shared with you about Evil Knievel. And, and I shared with you about the stuntman who died at Westgate Speedway years ago here in Peterborough. What, what motivates people to make such extreme commitments to their sport? And then I suggested that we were going to look at a text, Paul's letter to the Romans, and we were going to find another situation that was going to leave us asking that same question. What motivates people to make such extreme commitments? Because Paul, in his letter to the Romans, gets to the 12th chapter, and he says to them, while discussing godly living and, and how we should properly respond to what God has done for us, he calls his, his readers and, 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 and us as well, those who are already followers of Jesus, he calls us to a new level of commitment by saying, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And I suggested then that, that that might bring up some pretty creepy images in your mind as to what Paul might possibly be talking about. It seems really extreme to call someone to be a living sacrifice. Uh, really radical. Like we're okay with coming out to church on Sundays even when there's freezing rain. And we'll volunteer in, in a ministry here or there. We'll put money in the plate as it goes by. But offering your body as a living sacrifice, that, that's, that's extreme. Well, what motivates someone to make that kind of a commitment? And, and take the word living away from it. And just let's say that Paul said, make yourself a sacrifice. That's still an unpopular word today. It's countercultural. Because we, we live in a day and age where we're told to indulge ourselves, not to deny ourselves. That we're told that we come first, not others come first. We're, we're told to spend on ourselves, not give to others. We're, we're we're told to, to live for the moment, not, not worry about eternity. And yet Paul is telling his readers to offer themselves as a sacrifice. And why? What would motivate someone to make that kind of a, of a commitment? And motive is important. Because we know that in anything we do, our motivation is crucial. And especially when it comes to doing anything for God, motivation is crucial. And Paul knew that. That's why when we come to Romans 12, verse 1, Paul, Paul pleads with his readers. He puts himself in the same level. He says, brothers, sisters. The, the truth that you have embraced, let it embrace you. Just like I have. Paul realizes that what we believe to be true about God and what we believe to be true about what God has done for us will determine the way that we live for God. And the best way to motivate someone to live for God is to remind them of what God has done for them and who God is and what his person and what his character is like. And that's what Paul does. It's funny, if you're reading and studying the book, uh, uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, the first 11 chapters are pretty meaty. There's lots of doctrine. And you finally get to chapter 12 and we're told... If you're reading a commentary, now we're getting to the practical stuff. 
to the application. And we're going, yes, finally. We're out of the doctrine, into the, into the practical, into the application. And the first thing Paul says is, I beg you, I plead you, consider what I've just talked about in the first 11 chapters. In fact, let's go back and talk about it. Think about it. If you have your bulletin, you'll see the verse that I, I chose. There's so many verses that we could have chosen from the first 11 chapters of Roman that, that just from different angles show us what God has done for us uh, in the person of Jesus Christ and what our reality was like. And I love that verse. Uh, that's why I chose it. It says that God demonstrated his love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the first 11 chapters of Roman, it, 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 it gives us in detail the hopelessness and the helplessness of the human condition. Sin. Falling short of God's glory. Missing the mark. Unable to be in relationship with God. Being enemies of God because of our sin. And there's nothing that we could do about it. And the price for that is death. A real hopeless message, if that's all that Paul says in the first 11 chapters. But that isn't what he only says. He tells us that God could provide a solution. God could provide an answer for our sin problem. He could provide a remedy. And he's sent his son Jesus to be that very thing. And Jesus paid the price for our sin. He became our substitute. And by accepting what he did for us, as Paul shared at the communion table, that that we can be ransomed. We can be bought from sin. We can be justified. We can be declared innocent. We're saved. We have eternal life. We have a righteousness that's not our own. We have a righteousness that comes from Jesus. And he gives us his spirit to live in us so that we can have power over sin. And Paul says, consider all of that. And in view of all of that, make this commitment. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. Offer everything about you to the person and the lordship of Jesus Christ. Why? Because of his mercy. Because of what he's done for you. We've, everything we've done this morning has pointed to that. The songs that we've sung, our time around the table, the the passage that we had read to us from Ephesians, everything points us to what God has done for us. Not because we deserved it, Not because we earned it, but because he loved us. What he has done for us through Jesus. And Paul says, because of that, offer your entire self to Jesus. And we make that commitment, not so that we receive mercy. And understand that. How hopeless, when Paul shared that about 144,000, to not know if you're part of the 144,000. How hopeless. How helpless to not know. To think that you have to make it to a special mark to become God's children. No, we don't make this commitment to receive mercy. We make the commitment because we already have received mercy. We, we, we lovingly choose to commit ourselves to the one who's loved us more than anyone else can ever love us. So what's the motive? It's because of God's mercy. 
And so four weeks ago, we got to the end of our message, and I think it made sense, and Paul says it in Romans 12, verse 1, that, that this kind of a commitment, this kind of a response, it's logical. It's strategic. It makes sense. It's what you would want to do if you fully understand what God has done for you in Jesus. And, and the truth is, if we're not broken, and if we're not humbled by the truth that our sin condition left us hopeless and helpless, nothing that we could do for ourselves, and all we could do is cry out to God for mercy, and God poured his mercy out on us. If we don't get that, then what Paul has to say in Romans 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16, we're not going to get it. We're not going to get it. And I think some of us got it four weeks ago. And it made sense that we made that resolve. It felt good and it felt right to stand with you and to sing, I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in awe of the one who gave it all. My soul, Lord, everything about me, it's yours. That resolve made sense. And yet despite my resolve and maybe despite your resolve, Over these last four weeks, I know personally I have proven that seemingly that kind of commitment and keeping it is unattainable. Because I've done things and I've said things and I've thought things and I've planned things that were about me, that were about my commitment to me and not my commitment to God. It more reflected my surrender to my own will, not my surrender to God's will. And, and maybe, maybe if you're being honest, that's the conclusion that you might come to as well. This kind of change, this kind of, this kind of uh, overwhelming commitment to God is unattainable. Maybe that's where we land. Maybe I just sit down and we do a couple of more songs and, and call it a morning and just... Leave satisfied that we're trying. But we can be changed. We don't have to remain the way we are. And why do I say that? Because God says that. God says that we can be changed from the inside out. God says in Romans 12, verse 2, that we're going to look at this morning, that his desire is to change us. Regardless how impossible that change might seem to us. And so the question over this week and next week that I want to consider is, how do we carry out the sweeping demand of Romans 12, verse 1? To offer our entire self, everything about us to God is a living sacrifice. How do we carry that out? Well, Paul gives us the answer in verse 2. Verse 2 involves two commands. One's a negative command, one's a positive command. And then he gives us a result. And, And today I just want to finish by looking at the very first phrase in Romans 12. Verse 2. And it's actually a negative command. And, and I was sharing with Ben uh, just a couple of days ago that, that I struggled with leaving us today, just having looked at a negative command. But I feel okay now 
that we're going to do that. And, and hopefully you'll see why uh, when we, we finish this morning. And so Paul gives us these uh, commands in Romans 12 verse 2 that will help us to understand how we can accomplish this calling that he has given us uh, in verse 1. But if you write in your Bible, here's, here's a couple of phrases that I came across that I find very helpful that will summarize what we're going to talk about for these couple of weeks. And one's by a guy named Keith Krell. And he simply says that presentable bodies are a result of a changed mind. Okay, and when you read verses 1 and verse 2 of Romans chapter 12, keep thinking of it. Because at first I thought, well, that's kind of a simple statement. I'm not even sure if I really agree with it. And then the more I thought of it, yeah, that makes so much sense. A presentable body is a result of a changed mind. Another phrase, which is a little bit longer, and you may not want to write this all in your Bible, but it's by a, a commentator by the name of Douglas Moo, uh, one of the renowned scholars on Paul's letter to the Romans. Uh, and he says, um, and I want to make sure I get it right here, a new orientation in our thinking leads to a new orientation in our behavior. A new orientation in our thinking leads to a new orientation in our behavior. And so those two phrases will kind of summarize a lot of what we're going to talk about uh, today uh, and, and finishing up uh, next week. So let's talk about the first command. So actually, let's read the, the text together. I keep referring to it. If you've, hopefully you've opened your Bible to uh, Romans uh, 12. And uh, we'll start at verse 1. We'll read the, the text uh, that we considered four weeks ago. And then uh, I'm going to read just the first phrase. And I'll read the, the whole of verse 2. It's only two verses. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what's God, what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so we got the first command, the very first phrase. It's a negative command, and it's this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Sounds simple, but I think it's better understood if we break it down and define three of the words that we find. So the first word's conform. What does conform mean? Simply means uh, to be stamped or molded according to a pattern. Uh, so I'm in work in the printing industry. Uh, we can take big piles of paper that if you tried to cut them with a scissor or even other techniques of cutting paper, if you tried to cut a, a very intricate shape and do it with a bunch of sheets of paper at a time, the paper's going to move all over the place. But we have die presses. And so using pressure... Uh, and creating dyes made out of steel rule. We can squeeze uh, and pressurize the stack of paper so it doesn't move, and then using pressure, the, the dye comes down and cuts out pretty much a perfect uh, pattern. Every sheet, uh, a tolerance that you can't even see by the human eye, uh, each sheet is the same. And we understand that in the kitchen if we're making uh, cookies and we're using cookie cutters. So we get, we get that idea. And the idea of molding. Uh, I don't know if, if your mom or your grandma or maybe you uh, like to make jello salads. And, and I know my grandma used to always have these really intricate looking 
jelly solids, but if you tried to do it when the jello was in a liquid, it'd be really hard to try to, you know, you'd be squeezing it and trying to get it to mold uh, using your hands, or if you just took a big clump of jello and then tried to cut it and sculpt it, you'd never get that pattern. So what do you do? Well, when the liquid form, you put it into a mold. And so that's the whole idea of conforming, that we're stamped or we're molded according to a pattern. And so Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of the world. So what is Paul saying when he says world? Is he talking about the physical earth? No, he's talking about uh, a system or a world age. And so in the New Testament, uh, in numerous places, it refers to the age that we live in right now as an evil age. That God has permitted this age to be uh, under the dominion of Satan. And uh, Galatians, Paul says in chapter 1, that, that Jesus died. Not that we would be conformed to this present evil age, but that we'd be rescued from it. And so Paul says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. So what does he mean by pattern? And pattern simply means the thinking or the philosophy of the world. So do not conform to the pattern of this world simply means do not think like the world thinks and the world has no consideration of the things of God. How does the world think? What is the philosophy of the world? I wrote down a number of, 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 of thoughts according to that. The, the world tells us me first. You want it? Go get it. Public opinion defines truth. Popularity is more important than holiness. Faith in everyday living is unrelated. Live for the moment and don't worry about consequences. You are the center of the universe. There is no absolute cost. Tolerance at all costs. And I'm sure we could add to that list. So Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of the world. If you want to succeed at doing verse 1, don't think. Don't embrace. Don't let the way of the world that has no consideration of the things of God influence you, mold you, squeeze you. So what does nonconformity look like? Well, I just defined what Paul is saying. And yet if you're like me... My tendency, especially at the age I am, and some of you are my age or older, uh, if you grew up in a Christian home your whole life, your tendency is to look at external behaviors to avoid. So to not conform to the world meant there was a bunch of things I didn't do because good Christians didn't do those things. And so growing up, we didn't dance, we didn't drink. We didn't go to school parties. We didn't play sports on Sundays. And unless it was a playoffs, then sometimes we were allowed to play sports on a Sunday. We didn't go to the movie theater. Unless it was like a Billy Graham movie that happened to be at the theater. We didn't play cards unless it was like you know or Skippo. It couldn't be like the real playing cards with kings and queens and those things. 
And you could probably add to that list as well of external behaviors. Don't conform to the world. You don't do these things. And we could make this long list. And, and there's some of those things that are really smart. I didn't mean to come across like, you know, you may have those rules in your house. I'm not, I'm not even commenting on that. But they have to result from what's at the core of not conforming. And it's a matter of how we think. And so those things that we avoid are coming because we don't want to think and be influenced and embrace the thinking of the world. So maybe we're wondering, well, where do I fall on the scale or the spectrum, spectrum of conformity and, and nonconformity? Well, let me give you a, a quote from a, a commentator, uh, John Murray. And he says this, and listen carefully. Conformity to this age means to be wrapped up in things that are temporal. To have all of our thoughts oriented to that which is seen and temporal. If all of our calculations, plans, ambitions are determined by what falls within life here, then we are children of this age. One more time. Conformity to this age means to be wrapped up in things that are temporal, to have all of our thoughts oriented to that which is seen and temporal. If all of our calculations, plans, and ambitions are determined by what falls within life here, then we are children of this age. We are being conformed and squeezed and shaped by the pattern of the thinking of this world. And I don't know about you, but that quote hit me hard. It hit me too close to home. Because I know I'm a follower of Jesus. And, and when it feels right, I can loudly and real seriously say those songs. I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned. Everything I am is yours. I can say those things. But I read that quote and I recognize areas in my life, things about my life, activities in my life where I'm tied up with the things of the world. And what gives? Well, I think there's a clue in the verb tense of that first phrase in verse 2. Because the verb tense of do not conform is in the passive, which implies that if we don't actively and intentionally and continually fight and resist the thinking of this world, we will be conformed by it and to it. wanted to make just a couple of closing observations, and that's one of them, that if we, we don't actively, intentionally, and continually resist conformity, we will be conformed to the pattern of this world. And if you go through that, that list of, of, that I shared with you about how the world thinks, if we just pick a couple, popularity is more important than Holiness. If we don't resist that thinking, we will find ourselves spending all sorts of time making sure that we're cool, that we fit in, that we're wearing the right clothes, that we're popular, that we're accepted. And we don't really want people to even know about our faith because that might make us not popular. 
If we don't fight the world's thinking that our faith, what we believe, but how we and how we live our daily life don't have to do anything, uh, don't have to have anything to do with each other. If we don't fight and resist that, we will live life like that. This is Sunday. This is church. This is when I talk about God. This is when I learn about God. But Monday to Saturday, it's about me. It's about the things of this world. It's about my plans, my dreams, my priorities. Oh, it's Sunday again. Let me get my Bible. Where is it? I haven't seen it since Monday. We have to fight. We have to resist. And as followers of Jesus who desire to offer ourselves entirely to the lordship of Jesus, we have to tap into the resources and the power that God makes available to us to fight Satan, to fight self, to resist um, the world uh, and its influence. But there's a problem. Our desire is to be able to successfully offer our entire self to God. We say it. We sing it all the time. Easy words to say. But that's our desire. That's how we want things to be. And we get, we get that conformity is a matter of the mind. That to conform to this world means to think like the world. We get all of that. But here's the problem. What are we filling our minds with? What influences, what values, what morals, what ideas are we allowing into our mind? I'm reminded of this every Friday night. Friday night's Jack and my movie night. And I click on Netflix and it's the most frustrating thing trying to find a show that I think is appropriate for an eight-year-old to watch with his father. Because I get, I don't want him being influenced by most of the garbage that's on a place like Netflix. And then I put him to bed and I click on Netflix. And I watch stuff that I would never watch with my kids. What kind of garbage am I putting inside me? What kind of shows are we watching? What kind of movies are we watching? What kind of music are we listening to? What kind of books are we reading? What are we looking at on our computer screen? Who's the company that we're keeping? If we don't actively and continually resist and fight Satan and self and worldly thinking, we will be conformed to it. And the second observation is that we can't divorce Verse 2 of Romans 12 from verse 1. To make a commitment to offer our entire selves to God means that we're making a commitment to change. It involves not conforming. It involves being transformed by the renewal of our mind, which is what we're going to look at next week. You can't have one without the other, and I think that's my problem at times and maybe your problem. Man, I can mouth the words of verse 1. I want to offer myself to you, God. Not too keen on this not conforming part. Because, man, there's some things of this world that I really like. They are exciting. They're bright. Sin for a season, right? But if you don't put verses 1 and verse 2 together, you're going to get neither. 
the final observation. Conformity is no small matter. And I realize after what I've just said for the last few minutes that some of you are putting your defense up. You might be saying, okay, there goes Brent again, being extreme. Netflix really isn't that bad. There's no pornography on it. You might be going, you know what? There are things that I'm involved with. There's people I hang out with. There's activities that I like. And I know that they might be worldly. I'm not ready to give them up. And really, what's, what's the matter with a little bit of influence from the world? What's, what's the matter with a, a little bit of worldly thinking? What, what kind of impact is, is just a little bit going to have on me? This might be a strange illustration. We were in Florida last week. There was 11 of us sharing a house. 11 people, 20, 25 pairs of shoes. I went out for a walk down to the community area of this, where we were in this gated community. And I came back and it was the middle of the day. And we had talked about cleaning up the front door with all these shoes. I walked in the front door and I almost fell over. There was a pair of shoes that stunk. I didn't know what shoe it was. As far as I was concerned, they all stunk. And I was ready to pitch the whole lot. And it just reminded me, it just takes one pair of shoes to stink up the whole house. Jason, you got fish. Do you put a, keep a diseased fish in a tank with the other fish? We've had chickens and hens. When you buy a hen, you don't want to stick it. We, we clean out the chicken coop before we put new chickens into the chicken coop. Just one disease, one sick cow affects the whole herd. Paul's writing this letter to the church, but the church is made up of individuals. He's writing to us. Does one conformed individual affect the church? You bet it does. You want to ruin the testimony of a whole community? Be the one that conforms to the world and let the news get out. Husbands, does our conformity to, to, conformity to the pattern of this world to be influenced and embrace the thinking and the values and the priorities of this world, does it impact our marriage relationship and our family? You bet it does. Wives, the same for you. Kids, the same for you. It is no small matter. And as a result, I say, we need to take a stand. We need to, be, we need to dare to be different. To stand up for Jesus and to resist and to fight the way that the world thinks because that influence on us who profess to be a follower of Jesus does no good and only has negative consequences. How can we carry out this sweeping call that we find in verse 1 to offer our entire self to God? First of all, it's by not conforming to the pattern of this world. And I realize that it sounds like a lot of hard work, and it is. 
And I also realize that to end my sermon right now is kind of a negative place to be. But the good news is that we can be changed and that God wants us to change us. And that is the great news of this balance of verse two is that God's desire is to change us as we partner with him, as we renew our mind and as we fight against the influence of the world. And, th- and that's what we have to look forward to next week. And, and, and my prayer is that you would you'd be thinking through this. And uh, I'm gonna call the praise team up. We're gonna sing a, a song of surrender. And I know that as I talked about, and I, and I tried to be personal, to share areas that I know in my life where I'm conforming, where I'm allowing to myself to be influenced, where I'm embracing the thinking and the ways of this world, I have a feeling some of you can think of things yourself. Would you be willing to be honest with yourself? And would you be willing in your mind's eye, place those things in your hands. And as you sing this song of surrender, may, be that, may that be part of what you're surrendering right now to God. The stuff that's keeping you from being what God wants you to be. May it begin this morning as we sing this song together.